Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 225 with Kelly Hoey. I think you're really going to dig this one because Kelly explains, one, why networking is more important now than ever before, two, how to come up with better icebreakers than the weather, and three, how to present yourself optimally on social media. So if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcripts or the links to items that we reference here, you can find that on over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep225. And while you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, I hope you check out some of our handy stuff. One thing I find pretty handy is just the magnifying glass in the search navigation bar. So with that, you can click it and type any query you like. If you think you remember hearing a guest saying something once, you can bring it back to the surface you got a particular work issue. We may have covered it in the 225 conversations we've had to date, and every one of them is transcribed. So that makes it searchable and easy to jump right to the part you want if you use the magnifying glass over at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now here's Kelly's story. Jay Kelly Hoey is a writer, investor, connector, and networking expert. Lauded everywhere from Forbes as a one of five women changing the world of venture capital entrepreneurship to Fast Company one of the 25 smartest women on Twitter, and more. She's a columnist for Inc.com and has appeared on CNBC's Power Pitch. And as an influencer, her clients include Comcast, Turnstone, and Capital One. Here's Kelly. Kelly, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thank you for having me. Well, I think we'd have a whole lot of fun chat about some things. And I was really enjoying perusing your Medium posts with 50 secrets across 50 years. And so, I mean, we could zero in on any one of them, but I want to hear this tale about doing four all-nighters in six days and what you say the key is to doing that effectively, if you have to. (laughs) Vitamin B and a really good team. All right. If you're going to fueling on a lack of sleep, vitamin B, B complex, you know, I want to say whether it's a vitamin water or one of my favorites is originally an Australian product, Baraka. It's quite good for hangovers as well, I will add, but it'll help you rather than the caffeine, go for the vitamin B. And when I was pulling all nighters, I had an extraordinary group of, I want to say, legal assistants and paralegals who I worked with. And if you're going to put in those kind of hours. You need people who are going to row with you. And that made all the difference in the world. Thought that I'd want to do it again, but Lord knows I can't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I already found that I'm less able to do that now at 34 <laughs> than uh, when, when I just maybe 10 years ago. So there it is. Uh, you know what? There's times when you know you have to deliver and you just have to, what's the lack of a better word, it's going to suck it up and do it. Mm-hmm. And that was one extraordinary week in my life as a lawyer. But I recently, you know, you know, when you have to like call on those experiences to know you can get through it. And I had a flight that got delayed. So I was going to land in Omaha to do a keynote and I had 20 minutes before the keynote and I was a red eye via mm. Minneapolis or something. And the got off the plane kind of like the last 20 minutes of the flight, put my makeup on, went to the bathroom, changed my shirt, you know, whatever, landed, guy was there to pick me up, got to the startup week there in Omaha and the organizers looked at me and I said, we're good to go. I probably will last an hour and you're going to need to get me to the hotel, but I can do this. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> what was I going to do? Text them and tell them to change the schedule? It's like, the show must go on. So Sorry, I'm sleepy. <laughs> exactly. I'm cranky. I've been in economy for four hours. No, that doesn't work. You know, things happen and you're just like, right, what can I do? Like, hey, I can have a midday nap. It made for a fun day. Oh, yeah. Those are nice. Those are nice. Well, I want to talk mostly today about your networking wisdom. You've sort of earned quite the acclaim in that realm as being one of the 25 smartest women on Twitter. And you got this book in which you share a lot of your wisdom called Build Your Dream Network. Tell us what's the big idea behind the book and why is this important now? I would say I think networks matter more than ever before. I like to say we're in an era that it's not what you know or who you know, it's who knows what you know. And whether you are looking to start your own venture or working within a company or looking for a new job, that word of mouth networks that were always, I want to say always important, but some of it closed off to us, matter more. And there's sort of easier ways for us to, I want to say, tap into new networks. I'm saying social media and other platforms have democratized access, but that importance of remembering the human skills and flexing that muscle continuously. The reason for writing the book was, you know, what's the question you're always asked? That may be your secret sauce. And for me, it was the same questions all the time on networking and how to make really valuable connections. And I can't go for endless coffee dates, just like I can't pull endless all-nighters. So putting everything in a book was the way to go. Okay. Well, it's great to have that resource now available. So can you lay it on us then? What are some of the maybe top things, maybe for those who think they've got networking pretty well handled, maybe you could shed some light on stuff in terms of what are some of the the top mistakes or failings folks make when it comes to doing the building of the network? Well, I mean, the first thing is, I think top mistake is what we think networking is. And I think most of us think of networking as an activity that we only undertake when we're in a time of need. Or if we're in sales, I think people look at it as something that is a power imbalance. Like I need something and you can give it to me. And we typically think of it as something that we have to do with strangers. So how do I make idle small talk and those kinds of things? Let's just blow that up. As I say in the book, if I could come up with a new definition, you can call it relationship building, you can call it connecting, you can call it whatever you want, call it networking, bundle all that stuff together. The reality is in this day and age, I think everything we do when we interact with another human being is networking. So think of all the touch points you have on any point in time, whether it's your email signature line, whether you listen to this podcast and you share it with somebody else, who you greet in an elevator, how you say hello to a security guard or a doorman, how you mentor, how you follow up. You know, you asked what the greatest networking mistake is, the failure to follow up. It's not the lousy handshake. It's not having your snappy elevator pitch. The failure to follow up is the number one networking mistake. But the first thing is to think about every single thing you do as an activity, thinking of networking as an activity. That is networking. The second thing to think about is every single activity when you're networking is with another person. So I don't care if it's a text or a tweet. You're networking with a human being. So be human and remember that. Someone asked me recently, what's the biggest secret and trick to networking? I said, don't be a jerk. It's not that hard, people. Be kind. (laughs) And the first thing, and this is where maybe the real driver for writing the book is, as I said, people make the error of thinking of networking as an activity that you undertake in need. And 
Therefore, when they think about networking, they're always thinking about, oh, should I go to this event? Should I join this club? Should I be on this committee at work? This kind of thing. And I'm like, whoa, stop. Wrong place to think about networking. Go back to what are your goals? And if we're talking to people who have an ambition to climb the corporate ladder or switch careers or how to get hired or change functionaries in the company they're working at. Like, think about what your career goal is. Now, who are the people who can help you make that career goal a possibility, either the next step or an intern step, whatever it may be? Now, how do you connect with them? And Part of the reason to write this book, you know, go back to like your initial question, is there's a lot of really great networking books out there. My frustration with them reading them years ago was thinking, okay, I get all of this, but what they haven't done for someone is provide them with a roadmap. And a roadmap for me starts with a starting point. And a starting point for networking for your career starts with your career goals. What is it that you want to achieve? we achieve things with the help of other people. Now, how do you connect effectively with them? Okay. You know, I like that so much. It seems so simple, almost like, well, of course, that's what we should do and how we should approach it. But you're right. It's sort of like we have it inverted. Right. When people ask you those questions, well, should I join this committee? Should I join this networking group? It's almost like this networking is happening here. Therefore, maybe I should go do that because I've heard networking is important. You say, no, no, time out. Let's flip the script and say, okay, well, ultimately, where do you want to go? Who can help and, and how do you connect? So I think this is really solid stuff. So what's on your mind? I was going to say, like people often ask me, they said, well, what's a good icebreaker question, Kelly? And I'm like, I don't know. And they look at me <laughs> blankly. I said, you got to ask yourself why you're in that room. If you've stepped into a networking activity, if you understand why you're there, you understand what the first question is you can ask someone. I don't know. Have you joined a committee because you're going to get to work with other people across the company? Have you joined a not-for-profit board because you care about that cause? Have you attended a meetup because you want to hear the speaker? Like, What's your reason for stepping into that networking venue? Then you can probably figure out what your first question is. Versus what's the icebreaker like a generic one size fits all, mm -hmm. which like just so doesn't work for me. <laughs> well, I, I hear, and I do feel a little bit about the whole weather conversations and, you know, sometimes I guess that's all you got. <laughs> and so go with it. But I mean, you're right. It's so much more fun to say, oh, have you heard the speaker before? I'm really excited to hear him live. It's like, that's a much stronger, I think, opening connection point than, oh, it's getting chilly, huh? Yeah, exactly. Or to be able to say, this is my first time attending one of these meetings. How about you? And then one of the person says, no, I've been a lifelong member. Well, tell me what keeps you coming back. Like something where you're sharing with that other person and understand why they're there and to be able to say, hey, this is my first time. I've heard a lot of really great things about, or I'm excited to join this committee. Here's the reason why I wanted to join. How about you? It's so much easier if you understand why you're undertaking an activity. I mean, sometimes I say to people, I think about networking, when you think about it in this sort of team and goal-focused, as opposed to some Machiavellian, it's all about me and what's my goal. But if you think of it as team and goal-focused, think of it like football. You're in one end zone and you know the other end zone. If you don't know what your goal is and you don't know, well, where am I throwing the ball? Am I throwing it behind me? Am I throwing it to the right, the left, the side? Which way am I going? But if you clearly know what your goal is, then who are the people that you need to work with 
march down that field and achieve that goal because you've got to work as a team. A quarterback doesn't win a football game on their own. And every once in a while with networking, you can throw a Hail Mary. You can throw a long pass and you get lucky. But what happens most of the time? We keep on this football analogy. What happens most of the time? You fumble. You got to switch up your plays. You got to call in special teams. <laughs> it, you know, and guess what? Sometimes it doesn't work and you got to re-strategize and regroup and start again. And so think about networking that way. Yes, there's an individual goal, but this is a team activity. And how are you building relationships so other people want to get on that field and help you achieve your goal? All right. So I really dig that. Now, I guess I'm thinking when it comes to think about your goal, I think that probably sounds, at least to me, you know, pretty quick and easy in terms of, oh, this is what I want. But maybe you do share, are there some extra layers of insightful question or investigation that should go into this step beforehand? Well, I mean, this is where I say to people, like, spend more time. If you had a yardstick and you use that as a measurement for your time of networking, rather than spending an inch of your time researching and the rest of the yardstick's length running around, I want you to invert that. Because not only is it thinking about, right, what's my goal? Break that goal down. And then with each piece of it, who are the people who can help you? So let me give you an example. When I decided, had this crazy notion in my head that I wanted to write this book, the first thing I thought was, where do you even start with this? So I immediately thought of three friends, one who was in the publishing industry, other two who were in the process of writing books or recently had a book published. And I said, I've got this idea that I want to write a book. Can I talk to you about it? And one of them's like, yes, let's have lunch. I'll tell you what goes on in the publishing industry. Another one said, absolutely. By the way, if it's helpful, here's my book proposal mm -hmm. so that you can read and look at it. And the third one was, yes, let me walk you through where I'm at with mine. And once you have your book proposal, like you're starting to draft it, I will help you edit it and help you get it to a place where you can then start thinking about literary agents. When I got to the point of going, oh, shoot, maybe I should find a literary agent. I sat down and I made another list of the original three people, probably with another 12 on that list. So now I've got 15 people. And I individually emailed those people and I said, guess what? I want to write a book. I've got a book proposal. This is what the book's about. If you have recommendations on literary agents, I'd love them. And people got back to me. And from there, one in particular I'm thinking of, one friend was like, I think I have someone who would be a great literary agent. This is what I need you to give me so I can reach out to her. If this literary agent is interested, she'll let you know. So that's, you know, that other thing, that double blind introduction, not just dumping me in someone's inbox saying, oh, Kelly's fabulous. You should get her book. So based on personal recommendations that I had, um, we say, incited to literary agents. You know what? I'll stop there because if my friends had come back and said, well, here's some names, whatever, or if my friends had come back and said, we don't know of anyone. Yeah. Here's maybe some ways to find them. You know, then I would have been like, okay, let me jump on the internet. Let me search around. Let me see who's done this type of genre. Let me go and look at this. But fortunately, I had the good luck of having some people in my network who had written books and had some recommendations. So then I got the meeting with the literary agent, but then sort of fast forward. All right. The book's going to be coming out. I need a publicist. Mm -hmm. And the same thing again. I'm not posting on my Facebook page, hey, all of my network, I want to write a book. Can anyone help me? Like that's not helpful to anybody. Like you're either going to get a bunch of people doing a happy face or some likes or yay, good for you <laughs> or something versus saying, you know, my big goal is to write a book now. 
let's break this down into the sub goals, like every yard of a football field, like, all right, how can I get that first down? How, you know, like, how do you break it down in pieces and then get really hyper-specific? We'll keep on the sport analogy. Think of like a target, like with darts, right? Go for the bullseye of telling people specifically what you're looking for, because then they have a radius of how to help you. So take the example of looking for a job. Right. Hey, I'm looking for a job. Well, are you looking for a job at McDonald's or are you looking for a job at General Motors? Like, I don't know. What are you looking for? You don't know where to aim for someone. Whereas if someone said, I've been on this management trainee program for five years, but this is where it looks like it's going to go. And I'm reading the tea leaves at my company in the hierarchy. And what I think I really need to do if I'm going to advance is to step out so I can step back in. So I'm looking for a role and be really specific. Hey, I think I should go over to a consumer products company because I've been in a business enterprise company. So I'm looking for a job. I live here in New York City. So here's some name the companies or whatever, because then someone can say, guess what? I don't know anybody over at Lipton, but I know someone at Campbell's Soup. Would you want to talk to them? And that could help you. But the more Mm -hmm. specific, and I don't know what it is in life. It's like people are like, oh, don't be so narrow. Don't be so specific because you'll miss opportunities. I'm like, no, 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 no. You'll make it so much easier for someone in your network to really help you if you tell them exactly what you're looking for. Because then they can think of adjacent things. If you're just out there with, I'm looking for a new job, we don't know how to answer that one. That's a lot of work, and that's a big lot of territory to try and figure out. Absolutely. And I find that both when I'm really on the receiving end of maybe emails or requests, it's sort of like the more ambiguous and tricky it is to like think through what are you even asking me and what are we going for here? And I don't even know if I have some, like, I think, I guess, tragically, when time is scarce and incoming emails or requests are vague or, or tricky, it just reduces the likelihood of any sort of response as opposed to, oh, that's what you want? Well, I know just the person and this is easy. 20 seconds later, we're moving things forward a little bit as opposed to, huh, let me think about that. And then maybe you'll never return. So I love the specificity and the itty bitty steps. But one thing I'm thinking, as you laid out that process, it seemed like you were in an advantage situation of kind of reaping what you'd been sowing for years, such that you just had numerous people who are applicable, who were friendly able to say, well, sure, Kelly, I'd be glad to help you with that. So I'd like to maybe go back in time a little bit to what is sort of like the ongoing relationship building lifestyle that puts you in that position? Well, as soon as you said that, I'm like, oh yeah, we got to dial it back. So it's, it's not like, oh gee, Kelly got lucky. It's I've learned some lessons in my life, in my career. And one of the things is, you know, Having worked in large professional services firms, there was always the external networking, but the internal networking was so important. But there was a time period in my life where I had really great internal network. My external network was very limited. It was limited in terms of the clients I was working with. So a terrific network of, I want to say, lawyers and paralegals and investment bankers, because I get my job done, pull those four all-nighters, you know, do that sort of thing. But I didn't have, so I had this narrow, deep network 
I did not have a broad, shallow network. And the fact is you need both of those kinds of networks. And so when I wanted and looked to make a career change back in 2001, 2002, that's when it hit me in the face that I did not have the network I needed to make the career change I was desiring in a very word of mouth network. And I kind of said, I'm not putting myself in that position again. I need to make sure that I have enough diversity, both in terms of geography, age, experience, industry. And so that's when you start to kind of look around and say, right, is there a not-for-profit or is there a community service thing I can do where I can go and interact around an activity that I enjoy with people who aren't in the same pool as I am every day. So, you know, New York Cares is a really great not-for-profit here, sort of an umbrella organization to get volunteers for New York City-based projects and initiatives. And that was a really great way because you could say, great, I'm going to go reading from four to six at a homeless shelter with kids. Well, you're around a bunch of other people who enjoy that activity and you start doing that regularly enough, you're connecting with new and different people. Another friend of mine, she's like, oh God, all I ever do is hang around with people in the legal industry. So she went and got involved with Dress for Success's junior board. And all of a sudden, she's networking with people from fashion and from the beauty industry. And she's like, well, great. Now I have a much more diverse and interesting network. And so some of this is to like sort of think about all right, what are your activities that you're undertaking? But think about that mix. Like, where's the opportunities you're getting? What's the point of view? What's the perspective you're having that's either helping you do the job that you're doing now? or presenting opportunities in the future. And it's particularly, I would say my network got really, I want to say mixed up when I got involved with the startup community in New York City and having been the first president of a global business women's network that at the time was known as 85 Broads and the diversity of people who have moved in and out of big corporate Wall Street, professional services who are now doing entrepreneurship or they're in school and they're looking at their career. And as soon as I was in a network that was really diverse that way, that's when sort of things spread apart and enabled me to sort of sit back now and figure out, all right, who within that network do I tap and seek out guidance from, which as I sort of say to people, like, do that audit of your network and do that audit of how you're spending your time so that you can create that really, I want to say, broad, diverse network. Excellent. And I think that I have to ask you some questions about some cool digital approaches, tactics, LinkedIn goodness. I know that's sort of a small part of the overall pie, but it's a sexy part. So I'm going to have to touch upon it. <laughs> so what do we know? What do we know about LinkedIn? goodies and social media stuff and becoming known that way? Well, I mean, the first thing I think I say to people is you can't think of those platforms as any different than in-person networking. And for anyone who's sort of hesitating on thinking about, all right, how do I use these things? I mean, think of them as a physical room because we're networking with other people. So I always think of LinkedIn as the office and put my suit back on and grab the briefcase and step into that room. And that's where I'm like, okay, how are you presenting your expertise there? We'll use an example. Say someone's sharing what they do at work. Maybe they're sharing a promotion. Think about how you talk to peers and colleagues, people within your industry. Think about how you share that knowledge if you were standing with them at the same conference. That to me is how you present yourself on LinkedIn. 
I want to know someone's expertise. I maybe want to know what they're involved with in the community. I sure don't want to see an LOL, and I don't want to know what you ate for breakfast. That's not the context Mm -hmm. for that. Now, think about flip over to Facebook. For me, that's always been more friends and family. And I think for a lot of people who are career in working in a company, as opposed to owning your own business, that's probably more of along the lines of, way, of ways you think about it. Now, say you've got a promotion. How do you explain a promotion and share a promotion with work colleagues, right? Think about how you talk about it. Now, think about how you share a promotion with your family around the Thanksgiving table. It's still you, but the language and the expression is different. So that's why I'm sort of like, think of yourself when you step on those platforms, like you're in that physical room with the people who are there, because then I think you can start seeing, oh, how do I share myself? How do I show who I am? How do I show how I am human and really can engage people in the right way? And then for me, as I always say, Twitter is the cocktail party. So staying on that notion of a promotion. How do you share it when you walk into either a Starbucks or a pub with your friends and share what's going on? (laughs) It'll vary by personality of it. Right now, I'm imagining some rowdy folks standing on a table. (laughs) You know what? Sometimes you do that with people, but that's why I would say Twitter for me is a great cocktail party. And if you go in and you're a great listener... That's the biggest part of, I want to say, making a human connection is listening and seeing and hearing the other person. That's all we ever want to do is we want to be heard. We want to be seen and seen not in a Kardashian way, but like, hey, you know, I'm not ignoring you. You're another person. I'm interested in what you have to say, that kind of way of being seen. So Twitter is this great cocktail party that if you go in and listen Think about it. Access has been democratized. We can walk into and engage in conversations with people that was otherwise closed off to us. I mean, you can use the extreme example now of the office of the president. Before President Obama, think about how you got communications from the White House. If you weren't in the press corps, if you weren't getting something on official letterhead and an invitation to the White House, if you weren't standing there along a parade route and got lucky, your direct line of communication to the office of the president was very slim. Now, guess what? It's been democratized. And you could say that for CEOs, we can get off the office of the president, controversial stuff, but it's a really good example. But you think about it with celebrities, you think about it with CEOs, you think about it like one of my friends, and I say friends, we became friends because of having conversations around corporate governance issues on Twitter. And we, there was a group of us, we aggregated around a hashtag corp gov. We would seem to be retweeting and and sharing similar information. So that led to a direct message that said, we should chat sometime. We clearly have some of the same interests. Our first face-to-face meeting was over Skype. And then, boom, Lucy was in New York a few Mm -hmm. years ago. And I get this email that said, hey, come and meet. A bunch of us are getting together for dinner. Met in Midtown, and lo and behold, of the eight people at the table, only two had met face-to-face before. The rest of us, it was all based on relationships that had started with this person on Twitter. Mm, That's good. That's good. Thank you. But part of all this, I'm like, I could probably do a timeline. I'm thinking of a timeline now with one friend of mine who has become an incredible mentor through this 
author journey. And I think the first time I started to follow and then tweet or retweet and see author Tom Peters, who is the co-author of In Search of Excellence, that was in 2010. And late last year, Tom tweeted and said, by the way, I pre-ordered your book. And I had one of my, what are you talking about moments? But think about it in that example. Like I said, this democratization of access that we have, maybe this is why I'm so crazy about mobile devices and social platforms is it's now democratized access, but we still have to be a decent human being and we still have to kind of follow some of the old rules of relationship building. And if we do that, really magical things can happen. So in my case, like I said, 2010 started following Tom and retweeting his stuff and for no other reason than what he writes about and management issues is of interest to me. So then he says he pre-ordered my book and I'm like, what the what? How did this happen? And then earlier this year, he was going to be in New York and he's like, would love to meet you in person and say hello. And if there's any chance you can do that, let's grab a coffee. Where would I have had that chance in the past other than showing up at maybe one of his book signings and looking like a gushing fool? Mm -hmm. Hey, Tom, you're the greatest ever. Oh, like what? (laughs) (laughs) But that has been a seven-year journey that I can honestly say now this person is, like I said, a mentor, a confidant, a friend in this author journey of mine, but this didn't happen overnight. It happened because of social media. But if I was foolish to think that just because we're following each other on Twitter or friends on Facebook, Mm -hmm. connected on LinkedIn, means that all of a sudden there truly is a deep human connection, I'm saying maybe that's part of the problem I'm out to solve. That that makes great sense. But the metaphor analogy, it's sort of like they're in the same room. That doesn't mean anything about the nature of of your relationship. And I also want to get your take on within this realm of asking people for things. How do you think about just the give and take when it comes to helping people out and being helped out and asking for help? I think some folks get a little bit hung up in the sense of, oh, you know, I, I don't want to be greedy or just the opposite of some folks is all they do is take. So how do you think through that? Yeah, they're the ones who always take, I think I refer to them as death eaters, you know, go with that Harry Potter <laughs> analogy. No, so the give and the consideration and the generosity that sort of the things we think about in sort of old school networking kind of ethos, I think is really, really important. If you're not showing up for other people, why on earth do they want to show up for you? So Mm -hmm. like, hey, you're the quarterback of your own career. You're standing there on the field. Who is showing up on that field with you? And if you can't assemble a team, then you got to stop and look at yourself and say, am I, when somebody else is quarterbacking their career, have I been there for them? Have I shown up for their initiatives? Have I shown up when they've had an ask? Have I supported them? Because if you're not continuously building community and being there for other people, why am I going to want to give up? My two important and most precious assets, reputation and time, why am I going to give them up for you? So you need to always be building. That's part of the reason for always building community and being there for other people so that when you're ready to say, hey, I need some help, here's to show up. But on that kind of the give and the take, and particularly what do you give? Because I often find for people who are earlier, maybe mid in their career, they're always like, oh, well, this person's so much more important. And if they make a great connection for me, how am I going to give them a great connection? And I'm like, time out. If you really think thoughtfully 
and purposely on why that person can help you. And I want to say you've done the research and you can go to them and say to them, hey, this is why I want to talk to you. You at some point, you know, I looked at your bio and I've read the things you've talked about in your career, but I still don't understand how you were able to make this career move that enabled you to move out of a human resource function into an operations function. And I'm intrigued how you did that because I'm looking at my career right now and I'm really stuck over here in this function and I want to move to one that people can't see how to bridge it. Can you guide me on that? That to me is the absolute, like the most considerate, the give, the generous networking thing to do. If you've researched, you understand why you're asking for someone's time, you are considerate of their time. And then when you, biggest networking mistake, which is the failure to follow up, follow up and let people know what you did with their advice. I think that is particularly keeping in mind people who, as I said, are early or mid in their career. Someone who's at the top of their game doesn't need you to necessarily make an immediate introduction or whatever else. If you are considerate of their time and you are considerate and thoughtful in the fact that you understand why you're asking them a question because you can't find the answer anywhere else, then to me, you are like being the consummate networker. Okay, excellent. Thank you. Well, so now tell me, Kelly, is there anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear rapid fire about some of your favorite things? You know, the one thing I think on all of this, and maybe it gets back to your last question on being considerate. When I was writing the book, and it's very case study driven, as you know, and I looked and interviewed people who I saw had achieved really great results with their life in terms of thinking about mostly about their professional life, whether it was working up the corporate ladder or, or building their wealth management practice, go on and on, you know, their startup, their crowdfunding campaign, et cetera, et cetera. And I started at the end, hey, you achieved this. Can we now unpack this? How did you get here? And everyone got their individual questions that I sent to them to answer. What I never asked anyone was their personality type. There was no question on there that said, how'd you do on Myers-Briggs? And my answer started coming back. And most of the people I interviewed were introverts and I had no idea. And I think it gets back to this notion we were talking about people being considerate. And I think people who are introverts, understanding what it feels like to have your time wasted or the agony of not knowing, understanding or knowing why you're doing something because you could be doing something else with your time. I think people who are more thoughtful, deliberate and considerate with how they're using their time and more importantly, how they're using the time of other people are far better networkers in an era where we are so like hyper-connected 24-7 options up the wazoo. I think the more clarity you can have on why you're undertaking activities and why you're asking for somebody else's time, that's what's going to propel you to head and get you through all this noise. Oh, excellent. Thank you. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Well, my quote that I'm known for is stop committing random acts of networking to get people to be more focused. All right. And how about a favorite book? Favorite book is Catherine Graham's Personal History. I recommend that one all the time. So she's the late editor of the Washington Post and someone who was thrust into a role, a leadership role that 
she had not been groomed for and hadn't expected. And I think that's probably, I'd say most people would feel sort of that way. We're all thrust into circumstances and into situation and roles that we weren't feel we were fully prepared for. And of course, she was the editor through Watergate. Mm -hmm. And I think her principles and how she led that company during that time. And as people know, one of my biggest crushes is on Warren Buffett. And the reason Warren hasn't written his memoir, as he has said, my friend, the late, great Kate Graham wrote hers, and it has been said. Thank you. And how about a favorite nugget that you share that really seems to connect or resonate? Maybe it is the not committing random acts of networking, or is there something else that seems to really get folks kind of Kindle book highlighting, retweeting, etc.? You know, a story I share, it was an event, you know what, I say one of those typical networking events that people try and avoid, and it was a breakfast at the 21 Club, and the editor-in-chief of Harper's Bazaar was asked, Glenda Bailey was asked, what her greatest career achievement was. And, you know, you could think of someone talking about circulation numbers or whatever, finding a supermodel or discovering the next great designer. Instead, she told a story of realizing that she had mentored an incredible number of other people to success. And what had happened was she went back to London Fashion Week and the way they organized those runway shows at the time. Editors-in-chief's got the front row, not Kardashians or celebrities. Mm -hmm. And the editors-in-chief of British and European magazines sat on one side of the runway. And for the first time in her career, a very lengthy career, first time in her career, she's on the other side of the runway. And she looked across the runway. And as she told the story, she said, I recognized one of my former colleagues. So she waved and she's thinking that she's waving at one person. And instead, what happens is the entire front row waved back. Mm. And that's when it had hit her that she had mentored every single one of these editors-in-chief. And I tell people that story because when I think about networking and I think about careers, I want your listeners to sit and imagine themselves looking across the runway at their career. When you wave, looking ahead, when you wave back at your career, what is coming back at you? And I think of my first career as a lawyer, deal toys and prospectuses don't do a lot of waving. Mm -hmm. <laughs> former clients, former colleagues, the mailroom that helped you get your FedEx, hold the FedEx guy another five minutes so you could finish your document. Those are the people who are going to wave back at me. The intern. The person that you mentored one summer, the colleague you worked on a community service event with, sit on one side and look across that runway of your career. And what do you see when you wave across at it and start building your legacy? That's powerful. Thank you. Kelly, tell us if folks want to learn more, or get in touch, where would you point them? Oh, Twitter's always a good place. <laughs> Um, I'm so I'm at JK Hoey on Twitter. And then if you go to buildyourdreamnetwork.com, you'll find all sorts of my musings on networking and they come out every week. Beautiful. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for sharing this perspective here and keep on rocking and selling books and making connections. It's been a lot of fun. Oh, I've loved it. Thank you so much. I'm such a huge fan of Kelly's advice associated with really zeroing in on a particular 
next step. This is what I need some help with in terms of on my book proposal or finding an agent. I think that is outstanding to just make it super clear, super specific, giving them that clearer bullseye of how to help you, I think goes a long way in getting emails responded to because many of them don't get responded to just because of the vagueness. So again, if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we referenced here, it's on over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep225. And I do hope if you haven't already, you'll push subscribe. You'll hear from our next guest. It is Kate Stillman, who has quite the health empire that she's managed to build and very impressive. So she's going to give us some pro tips on how to have more energy at your disposal each and every workday and beyond. So I hope to catch you there in peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. <laughs>